Broadcasting live from the greatest city in the world. Austin, Texas, baby. It's Bucky and Aaron. You guys want to play some twos? You know what? Actually, we're kind of in the middle of a conversation. B and E. What's B and E? Bucky Godbolt, Aaron Hogan on the Horn 1049 AM 1260 and hornfm.com where the Longhorns play and Austin talks sports. Wake up, everybody. No more sleeping in bed. No more back thinking, time for thinking ahead. The world's changed so very much from what it used to be. There's so much hatred, war and poverty. Oh, oh, oh. wake up all the teachers, time to teach a new way. Yes, sir, and yes, ma'am, you had better wake them up, get them up, get them going. Monday on B&E, I hope you had a wonderful Easter weekend. Weather finally cleared, turned into a nice Saturday and Saturday evening, and certainly yesterday for a lot of golf watching, a lot of baseball watching, and hopefully a feast with you and your family celebrating the Easter celebration. And uh, we're ready to go on a Monday, a lot to do, 10 April. Jam-packed Longhorn Baseball continues a busy stretch. They're going to play five games in a row now because of Mother Nature, including tonight and what should be a jam-packed Bobcat ballpark in San Marcos. We'll talk plenty of Longhorn Baseball. They finish off a series win over the weekend. We certainly will talk plenty of golf. John Rahm, what a day yesterday. 30 holes of golf in competitive championship uh, uh, fashion. He certainly stretched his way and uh, was the best golfer of the weekend. We'll talk plenty of Masters. NBA regular season is over. Uh, for the first time ever, all three Texas NBA teams have missed the tournament. Uh, they will be watching the uh, other teams try to win an NBA championship. We'll preview and uh, look at that situation. Uh, big news from Texas basketball as well. A uh, lot to do. It's going to be a busy Monday. We appreciate you being there. Uh, however you find us, whether it's on 104.9 on the FM dial, could be 101.9 FM, AM 1260, of course, and always streaming for you, making it easy to find us digitally on your Horn app, uh, which hopefully you've downloaded to your smartphone, always on your smart speaker by saying, hey, Turn on 104.9 The Horn, and you know we're always there for you at hornfm.com, live, local, and digital. Appreciate you being there. Now, no, Bucky Godbolt this morning. We told you last week Bucky was going to be uh, undergoing a colonoscopy this morning, so uh, uh, he did not get to enjoy Easter festivities yesterday as far as the food goes. We wish Bucky the best, but uh, our great friend Monty Williams has gotten up early, and he is in the house with us to do some uh, old man, old fun radio. How are you, buddy? <laughs> very good, very good. I, uh, I'm feeling good, and uh, good luck to Bucky. Yes, they're going to make I, I him gotta... look like the letter Y here for a little while. Well, it's important to do. Got to oh, do yeah. those things. Got to do those things. Doctor's orders. Uh, so, yes, I, I said, you scheduled a colonoscopy on Monday. He's like, well, I didn't. Doctor did. <laughs> what do you want him to do? Yeah. Uh, so, yes, uh, Monday after Easter. So we wish Buck the best. He'll be back uh, Wednesday. And um, excited to have Monty in this morning. Our friend Ty Harrington, our our skipper, will be in tomorrow, which is time good timing because the Longhorns have a couple of baseball games with Texas State the next two nights. So we'll certainly uh, preview those. Ty Ty Henderson, not to be confused with Ty Harrington, our producer is through the glass, and he's bitter because uh, the Dallas Mavericks gave up on the playoff opportunity. It was an organizational decision, decision apparently. So we'll talk to him about that coming up and. Uh, let me start by asking you, Monty, how was your Easter, my friend? Very good, very good. We, uh, My oldest son was in from North Carolina, and we went up to uh, Canyon of the Eagles up near uh, Burnett, 
And uh, you told me this when I went and got you at the door this morning, let you and I've never heard of this. This sounds like a really neat place. Canyon of the Eagles. What a cool name. Yeah, it's uh, it's been around for a while. It's uh, it's land, I think, owned by LCRA and then leased to a resort company. And, I, you know, I mean, it's it's a little bit of a stretch to call it an actual resort, but it's uh, it's really nice, really uh, deserted, which made me completely freak out when I got up there and found out my master's app was not going to work. <laughs> So, oh, no. so I was struggling for any information I could find, but we, we had a great time. We had uh, uh, a great, uh, we got two rooms and beautiful balcony overlooking the lake. Great thunderstorm came in Friday night. It, it was a, it was a great time. It really was. Certainly was. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, Ty, how was your Easter celebration? It was good. Good. Uh, there was a lot of recovery yesterday. On the actual Easter day, we had a crawfish boil at my dad's on Saturday. And a lot of friends and family there. It was a good time. Nice. Okay, good. Yeah, we had family at the house. My parents came up and uh, sister and everybody, so it was good. Uh, it was very good. And so, for, you know, a lot of golf to watch. We yeah. had the TV set up. We sat on the back patio on a beautiful uh, Sunday and watched a lot of golf, a lot of baseball. We had three TVs going because we had to keep an eye on uh, on uh, golf and the the, go- uh, the the Longhorn baseball game. Astros and Rangers were playing. We were looking to avoid sweeps. Somebody texted and said, a lot to do, just golf and baseball. That's not true. We've got a lot to do today. We've got golf, baseball, Longhorn football with uh, the spring game coming up on Saturday. They had a big scrimmage last uh, last Friday, so we'll talk Texas football. There's news uh, surrounding Steve Sarkeesian and the Longhorn program. There's big Texas basketball news, which we'll get to. And that's how we roll on a Monday. It's a good, bad, and ugly Monday. Hope your weekend was good, but I'm sure there was some bad and ugly that you saw as well, uh, including Tiger Woods withdrawing from the Masters and how about uh, Brooks Kepka falling apart yesterday? Let's get to the headlines, your trending topics to uh, start your Monday morning, get you up and fresh and ready to go. UBO Business Services brings it to you. Start with golf. And, yeah, John Rahm began a long Masters Sunday at sunup yesterday. 30 holes to play and four back of the leader, Brooks Kepka at the time. Well, Spaniard proceeded to put on a ball-striking clinic and played the 30 holes and three under. Kepka, meanwhile, fell apart, and by sunset yesterday on Easter, Rahm had earned his first green jacket, his second major championship. He becomes the first European player ever to win both the U.S. Open and the Masters. It is a pretty good duo of, of majors. The you know, U.S. Open is about as hard a test that you're ever going to find, and all I asked for was a chance, and they got it. So to get that done, is, I can't hope to feel anything but thankful. Thankful for sure. He also leaves Augusta as the top-ranked player in the world, surpassing Scotty Scheffler. Kepka, meanwhile, finished the and uh, tied for second with Phil Mickelson, who shot an incredible 65 or yesterday to finish tied for two. Jordan Spieth fired 66 to finish tied for third. Tiger Woods withdrew on Sunday after re-aggravating that foot injury of his. Texas baseball weather created Easter Sunday ball game at the Dish yesterday was all Longhorns. They rolled past Kansas State eight to two in the rubber game of that Big 12 series. Texas scored. Seven of their eight runs with two outs in the ball game. They improved to 23-10, and 6-3 and three overall in conference play. Busy stretch continues for the Longhorns tonight. They'll travel to San Marcos to face Texas State. They'll then host the Bobcats at the Dish tomorrow night. You'll hear both games live here on the Horn. Big news from Texas basketball over the weekend, if you missed it. Official word that Memphis associate head coach Frank Haith is joining Rodney Terry's staff. Haith returns to the Texas program as a major addition. He's 57 years old, was an assistant for Rick Barnes in the early 2000s, where he recruited McDonald's All-Americans LaMarcus Aldridge and Daniel Gibson, as well as Big 12 Player of the Year P.J. Tucker. He's a part of the staff that finished and went to the Final Four in 2003. Spent 18 years then as a head coach at Miami, Missouri, and Tulsa, so brings a ton of experience. Yesterday was the final day of the NBA's regular season. All 30 teams wrapped up their 82-game schedules. 
12 teams have locked up their spot in the playoffs. It will tip off this weekend, six in each conference. The play-in tournament will determine the uh, teams that fill out the seventh and eighth playoff seeds in each conference. Those will tip off tomorrow night. And as we said, all three Texas teams, seasons are over. First time ever, all three failed to make the tournament. On uh, one piece of news from that, the Rockets did fire their head coach, Scott Silas, yesterday. Pro baseball yesterday, Astros and Rangers avoided being swept. Houston won in Minnesota 5-1. to Rangers won at Wrigley Field, beat the Cubs 8-2. to Round Rock blanked Sugarland 6-0. Uh, E-Train back home to open up a six-game homestand tomorrow night. Also over the weekend, Austin FC's early season struggles continue. They lost at LAFC 3-0, 3-0 on Saturday. And uh, one piece of news from the NFL, the Baltimore Ravens have signed wide receiver Odell Beckham to a one-year deal. This segment brought to you by UBO Business Services. Great people, great service, endless possibilities. That's UBO Business Services. Visit them at ubeo.com. All right, there we go. Busy. Lot. Lot yeah. to, lot to, lot to, lot to, to fill in there. A lot happening all over the uh, worlds of baseball and basketball and uh, the pitch. Austin FC's early season struggles. They ran into a buzzsaw in L.A. over the weekend. And uh, we'll get to all of it and talk about it throughout the course of the morning. But, uh, Monty, your thoughts on... The Masters. Well, I'm, you know, I mean, to me, the big story was Phil Mickelson. It really was. I mean, he kind of started off, besides the fact that John Rahm's the best player on the planet right now. But, I mean, Mickelson, you know, they, they on Thursday, very, very subdued reaction to the guy when he was announced. And by Sunday, they were cheering him like <laughs> LIV didn't exist. You know, I, I mean, he had what a what a scorching final round, and I'm not really a Mickelson fan, but uh, I still think that's kind of the story. That's the story of the tournament for me. Yeah, aside from Rom, you know, becoming the first European to win both the Masters and the U.S. Open, which I did not know. That's I didn't know that that's either. A, that's a huge piece of information. He's just a third player from outside of the U.S. to win those two events. He's joining joining Gary Player and Angel Cabrera to win both the U.S. Open and the Masters. Um, you know, the Open Championship, the British Open, is a huge prize in, in global golf, and uh, certainly the Masters is you know, the, 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 the top, top prize yeah. out there, um, joining and you know, grabbing that green jacket for John Rahm. I think it was only a matter of time, when he just as good as he was. And I know uh, I didn't pick John Rahm. I picked Scotty Scheffler uh, to win, and uh, Scotty just had a horrible weekend with the putter. His ball striking was fine, as we talked about. T to green is as good as anybody. Uh, he was just a mess on the greens, and... Uh, uh, could not putt this weekend, so Scotty not in contention. But Jordan Spieth fired a 66 to put himself in the mix. And, yeah, you're right, Phil Mickelson you know, just got hot down the back and uh, shot 31 coming home, uh, put himself at, with a 65 and put himself at 8-under, which really was the only drama when, when Brooks Kepka kind of lost it. And, you know, while John Rahm was shooting 3-under on the 30 holes played yesterday, Kepka shot 6-over. Uh, shot 75 in the final round. Uh, he was just really a non-factor down the stretch. Just couldn't couldn't do much of anything. Uh, and and it was really Mickelson posting that eight under, where you thought, well, I mean, I, the wind's up a little bit now here, middle of the way through the round. Uh, the sun's out, but the wind has popped up. You wonder if John Rahm goes in the water at Amen Corner or, or makes a mistake. All of a sudden, is he flirting with eight? Uh, never happened. John Rahm was just too rock solid. He was just, you know, he knew with a four-stroke lead, he. He just had to be aggressive but not take chances, right? Make really committed shots to smart parts of the green and parts of the fairway. And he did that all the way down the back nine, and it was really never in doubt once he got through Amen Corner. And I know Kepka complained uh, after after the uh, golf was over that the the players in front of him were playing too slow. Yes. He said they had to stand around. and, and, and Pace uh, of play was not great no. from the group in front of them, I will say that. and. Maybe get the, that baseball pitch clock thing on him. Can we get this thing going here, guys? 
<laughs> I know they're on a clock. If they get put on a clock, there is a rule. But uh, somebody already said, give Kepka a break. He's used to playing <laughs> he's 54, 54 holes. holes. <laughs> yes, obviously, that's the underlying subplot of the weekend and the Masters. And look, I mean, the leaderboard at the top littered with uh, live golfers with uh, Mickelson and uh, Kepka and Patrick Reed uh, up there as well. Obviously, Jordan Spieth and, uh, and John Rahm on the PGA Tour. That will be an ongoing conversation. But... Uh, you know, I don't think anybody doubts who we've had a lot of debates about the Live Tour and its impact on golf and the Saudi back league and all of that. But, you know, no one doubts that Brooks Kepke, if healthy, is one of the best golfers in the world. I mean, he just is. No question. You know, and, and uh, I neglected to another story, obviously, is uh, is his name Bennett, the, the Aggie? Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, that was a big story. Sam yeah. Bennett. Sam Bennett, man. Sam. What, a, what a great golf swing. I, I loved. Uh, uh, Brandel Shambly putting his golf swing side by side with Ben Hogan's, and it's very, very similar. Of course, Ben Hogan, a Texan as well, no relation, no relation. Unfortunately, <laughs> didn't inherit any of the <laughs> any of the uh, cash or the or the golf game. Uh, My first yeah. set of clubs were Ben Hogan's. See, that's good. Those are good, good product right there. Yeah, it looks like Sam Bennett's going to be a, a real comer. Obviously, the Longhorns have a bunch of dudes out there on the PGA Tour uh, making things happen. Scheffler and Spieth, and yes, yeah, Sam Bennett, a name to watch. Out of Madisonville, Texas, he was uh, the low amateur for sure and uh, really opened up a lot of eyes uh, this past weekend. So we'll take your thoughts on the Masters. Uh, I think people, uh, you know, I, I started this on John Rahm. I know back at the start of the golf season, I said, man, Buck, is it is it John Rahm's year to really it just, because last year was Scotty Scheffler. Uh, we know that. It was his year. And, uh, you know, and that came kind of came out of nowhere for Scotty Scheffler. But he was the, the dominant player in golf. and But it just feels like John Rahm's right there. You just said it. He's the best player in the world. And his ball striking yesterday and this weekend was immaculate. I mean, just he is um, he gained three and a half strokes on the field, tee to green in the final round. Uh, you know, just the ball, I mean, just control of his golf ball, his ball striking. How about this? For the week, John Rahm hit 86% of, his, of the fairways, 72% of the greens in regulation. The, the last two Masters winners that, that did that, to hit that many wow. fairways and that many greens, Jack Nicklaus and Ben Crenshaw. Wow. Uh, one of them was, you know, 30, 40 years ago. One of them was 30 years ago. So that's how good John Rahm was with the the golf club. And there were some tough conditions through there, right? I mean, he was yeah. know, playing through the rain. A lot and, of changing, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the weather changed so much through the four days. Yeah, it really did. It was uh, – and, and you, you know, we, we you could see it on the forecast when it started. I get You know, take advantage of Thursday and then early Friday. And that's what Brooks Kepka did. Brooks Kepka posted 65-67, and he played great on Thursday at 65, and then he turned around and he got the good conditions uh, early in the morning. He was out real early on, on Friday and posted 67. Then the weather came in, and the afternoon guys had to deal with some rougher weather. Uh, so, so Kepka was in the lead, and then, of course, they only played for a little while on uh, on Saturday and then had to shut things down and play 30 holes yesterday. So and I will also say playing 30 holes of, of golf with that pressure in that environment that is a mentally, I mean, that's that's 12 extra holes you're playing. And you're, you know, I, I don't know. I, I was thinking about this last night as I was, I was putting my head on the pillow. There's a lot of guys who, who have won the Masters or played in the Masters have talked about, you know, having to, to, to wait to tee off, right? They're, yeah. they're, the, they're in the lead or they're in the final group going on Sunday. They don't tee off to like two in the afternoon. Yeah, and, like, and I mean I, the greens get so fat. You know, yeah, the, the, what am I doing later all day? the day. Yeah, what then, am I going to do all? Because I didn't sleep very good. I'm up by seven. I got to wait till two o'clock to tee off. You wonder just getting out there and, and playing the the you know finishing round three early. Uh, now again, that had to wear on you by the end of Sunday, but just get out there and play golf. Thirty holes later, John Rahm is the number one player in the world. He is the Masters champion, and rightfully so. And you're right. I think Phil Mickelson. It's a huge story. Huge story. He's the uh, 
It's the lowest final round by a player his age ever at Augusta National. Um, and he looks he looks to be in great shape, and he's got a full bank account. He's good to go. You know, I, and I I would have thought beforehand that the that the whole live PGA dynamic would have played a larger role. That was that was largely just kind of suppressed. I'm sure Ma- Masters management didn't want that being a topic of conversation anyway. But uh, I thought there would be more to that than there ended up being. You know, in terms of just kind of either either uh, crowd reaction, gallery reaction, or or just kind of the way golfers might remark. Just the whole vibe was kind of non-existent, really. It was. I mean, it was there. It simmered, and I think you're right. I think there was a, a push by the Masters, certainly with the broadcast, to not really talk much about it. Um, here's a text that says, Live golfers should be banned from all <laughs> major tournaments. Well, to this point, that's not going to happen. There are there's a lot of litigation going on right now, lawsuits and how this is going to play out. And I always have to say, I mean, I, I, I said last week I won't be rooting for live golfers. I just I don't agree with their decision. I understand it. It was a financial money grab, and I give them credit. Um, but I, I also have to point out to when we get into these debates, every player had a decision to make. Everyone, not just the ones that went, because every play could have gone. John Rahm could have taken a mega deal and gone to live. I mean, every Jordan Spieth, Scotty Scheffler, every Rory single player, McElroy. Rory McIlroy, every <laughs> single player. Because people talk about, well, oh, this is great to have two tours and competitive. No, no, this was a Saudi-backed push to take over golf. Yeah. Let's not forget that. I mean, you can never – I mean, before there was Greg Norman and Phil Mickelson, they offered Jack Nicklaus the moon to be the face, and they offered Tiger Woods $800 million to join. They said no. So again, everybody had a, had a decision to make for the good of golf and where they were going to stand in this line in the sand conversation. I, again, do I begrudge the ones that took it and took the money and went? Uh, I don't. I don't love that Brooks Kepka, who's still in his prime com- competitive years, he he and guys like uh, you know Bryson DeChambeau, who are still. I, I guess I understand the older guys who you know were get were offered huge money and guarantees and a comfortable lifestyle. I get it. Same time everybody had that same choice to make, and uh, I respect the guys that didn't uh, jump and take the cash uh, to keep the PGA Tour and keep golf you know, in a competitive place. But, again, that's my opinion. But you can't have the debate without saying this was a, a push to take over golf, and everybody was offered huge contracts, and only a select few took it. Uh, and that tour is getting no traction. We know in year yeah. one they spent a billion dollars to make zero, and that's the endless you know, funnel of money that they have. Uh, in Saudi, I mean, they they don't. It's not about making a dollar. I mean, this would be a failed economic model in any other realm uh, to spend two billion dollars and make zero, uh, and they don't care. Uh, they're not getting any TV ratings. No one's watching it. No one goes to the tournaments. But you know, good for them. Uh, same time, this was a great tournament. This was a lot of fun to watch for thirty holes on Sunday through your Easter Easter Sunday ma- uh, mass and your Easter Sunday feast and all the things that you did it was really fun to watch over the weekend and like i say i was i was up there in uh at canyon of the eagles trying trying to get my uh my master's app to work which it didn't and i thought oh my gosh you know i'm gonna be on the air tomorrow i gotta see i mean i'll be the only person in sports radio in the country not to have seen the masters so i came home and uh you know kind of went over everything with my with my app and looked at all the highlights i did get to see the the final nine holes I uh, saw Kepka kind of, you know, fail to put it all together and retake the lead, but I didn't see Tiger pull out. What was that? What was that like? Was it, well, Buck and I talked about it last week when you know, as soon as it got wet and it was going to be slippery, there was going to be a real challenge. He is, 
look again, he shattered his his whole leg oh, with that car accident, and it's he's trying, but to, to not have solid ground below you, and he slipped. I mean, he, he had a, he had a little slip, and uh, reaggravated the plantar fasciitis, which he's going to deal with forever now, and that foot, and uh, you know, walking four rounds, he made the cut. I mean, I think that's the huge story. The Tiger, you know, beat a lot of good golfers that didn't make the cut. He did, but um, you know, the 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 playing conditions and the wet ground. Certainly did him no favors, and so he had to withdraw. Uh, just couldn't couldn't do the walking anymore, and that that's going to be the ongoing thing, right? That was his first tournament since Riviera. Yeah, who knows when he plays again? Remember, he played at uh, was it the PGA Championship last year and had to pull out or didn't play, and then he tried to play the U.S. Open and couldn't couldn't finish. Uh, so Tiger Woods, that will be an ongoing at forty eight years old now. <laughs> that will be the ongoing conversation if if he can ever. The fact that he made the cut is the story there. And then Phil Mickelson was a great story. John Rahm is your Masters champion. Uh, T.Y., uh, through the glass, here's a text that says, uh, the ugly, the Dallas Mavericks. If you missed this over the weekend, the Dallas Mavericks had a chance to earn their way into the play-in tournament to at least keep their season alive. And at some point Friday, Mark Cuban and the, the organization let uh, Jason Kidd, the head coach, no, 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 we're playing, but we're playing reserves, put in the scrubs, Luke is not playing anymore. We're not going to try to win these games. Uh, we're not going to try to win these games. We don't want to make the playoffs, essentially. Uh, we want the season to be over, and we're going to begin the process of the offseason. A friend of mine texted me, and he had bought tickets for his he and his son to go up for <laughs> graduation on Sunday to see the final game to and see, see Luca. Luca. And he said, look like a G League game. I want my money back. Uh, which they should refund, by the way. If it's an organizational decision to not play anybody and you're selling tickets at full rate and you play the G team, uh, that's that seems like a ripoff. But, uh, T.Y., what did you make of the uh, the Mavericks' organizational decision? It's really lame, but I understand why they did it. I mean, you weren't you could easily have made the playoffs, lost the first game, and not had a chance at a top-ten pick. So, I mean, I, I get what they're thinking, but I, I'm sure they'll get fined by the NBA. Oh yeah, for this. I, mean, I, th- I think I saw there was already an inv- investigation underway, which there's not really much to investigate. It's- and that was what it was all about, right? Staying in the lottery. Yep. I mean, the, the opportunity to have the eight, the tenth pick in the draft, which is where they were sitting, which you know could be a nice piece. Because and look, they, they're going to have Luca. They're going to try to re-sign Kyrie Irving, and it sounds like he's receptive to coming back. Whether that's a good thing or not, you can decide as a Mass fan. Um, they're two dynamic offensive players, but they don't play a lot of defense. Um, but you know, Doncic. There was some reports over the weekend that there's some fear that Doncic will request request a trade, do the whole Kevin Durant thing, and get me out of here. Uh, but he did say yesterday that I'm happy here, but something's got to change. Uh, I'm happy here, but something has to change. Uh, so that's what the Mavericks are. Their their weighing of the the options were the tenth pick will probably be better than us making the play-in tournament and losing pretty quickly. Because let's be fair, the last month they've been a bad team. They don't play any defense. They really can't play any defense. They don't have any defensive players. And uh, Jason Kidd seems to have checked out. So you're right. The NBA will investigate. But in the end, it's kind of the reality that uh, we weren't going far anyhow. So let's hold on to that 10th pick. And fire Jason Kidd, hopefully. That will probably happen. The Rockets have already fired uh, Scott Silas, their head coach, or Steven Silas, their head coach, and he's out. And um, you know the Rockets and the Spurs did the race to the bottom. They want to win that lottery and get the pick to get you Victor Wenbanyama. The the seven five Frenchman coming up, but that's all will play out. So, first time ever, folks. All three Texas teams will not be playing in the tournament. They yeah. will not be in the playoffs. They'll be watching. Uh, the next big piece of news for the Rockets and Spurs is who gets that lottery ball and has that uh, chance at a franchise changing 
draft pick. And then uh, the Mavericks will have a lot of work to do this offseason. It was cool, by the way, to see the Spurs play two games here in Austin over the weekend. If you go all the way back to Thursday and then Saturday, the Rock- the Spurs played a game Thursday night. They played Saturday, and the, the place was packed. Sold out. And it was sold out. And they opened up the 16, they went to 16,000 fans, right? For, for Texas basketball, it's just 10. And they have the, the garage doors up. And um, you know, for concerts, they can open it up and go to 16. But I guess with the agreement with the Spurs, they wanted the full freight, and so they had a full crowd. And Greg Popovich talked about the crowd and how it was a tremendous, you know, just on top of you crowd. And so that was cool, uh, you know, to see the Spurs. And we did learn from Greg Popovich last week that uh, they plan to do this every year. This is not a one-off. Uh, this, you know, this was billed as part of their 50th anniversary as a franchise to come through Austin. But Greg Popovich said, "No, no, no, we'll be we'll be doing this every year." So, you know, we'll wait and see where the schedule is. But that was kind of cool to see an NBA game here in Austin. I'd, I'd be surprised if they didn't add a few more, you know. I mean, uh, the slope of the lines of the two cities are kind of crossing, really. And, and I mean, I can, I can see that there would be some internal dialogue in the Spurs front office about, man, are we in the right city? Or should we move up, <laughs> up I-35? That's been a discussion. I read a, an article in the... Uh, Express news about that, you know, trying to tamp down those persistent rumors that uh, that they're really kind of somewhat considering within five years, 10 years, they might end up here. Well, I mean, I know the owner has said, no, no, I'm a San Antonio native yeah. and I'm, I'm a Spurs fan. I'd never move them. But obviously, they'd like to get one foot into Austin. There's a lot of tech money here. Oh, There's yeah. a lot of deep pockets in this city that if you can kind of make it feel like you're playing here, too. Um, there's a lot of cash to be had and a lot of corporate dollars to be to be spent. So I can understand that. But he's been because Spurs fans are all skittish. Oh no, they're moving to Austin. They're moving to Austin. Uh, the owner has said over and over again uh, that's not going to happen. But we'll monitor that situation. This says the ugly David Pierce and his antics are embarrassing. Yeah, David Pierce was ejected from the game yesterday. We joked that he just wanted to go watch the Masters because <laughs> the Longhorns were up eight to two or seven to two at the time. It's like. Hey, can you get me out of here? I want to go watch the watch the golf. No, that's probably not true. But uh, yeah, well, some people fire frustrated with David Pierce and his temper. But uh, this guy says, "I'm sick of it." Uh, we will take your thoughts on that. Good, bad, and ugly. That's how it works. What was good for you over the weekend? What was bad, and then what was just downright ugly? As we crank this thing up on a Monday, it is uh, the 10th of April, and a lot to do. Uh, we'll continue the conversation. Craig Way, we'll have more on that baseball game coming up in the Craig Way Report. We'll have some B&E facts of the day. We're wishing Bucky good luck today with his procedure. Monty is here. Ty is here. I am here, and you are here. It's the show of the people, and off we go. It's Bucky and Aaron. B&E with you. It's actually Monty Williams this morning, pinch hitting for the Buck, who's out uh, till Wednesday. He's got a procedure this morning, the uh, always fun colonoscopy. It's important for him. He's got to do that. Ty is here. You are here, and we are talking all things golf. All things from the baseball weekend. Longhorns uh, win a series that had to be pushed on to Easter Sunday. Of course, it's supposed to be a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series, but because of the weather on Thursday and Friday, they played Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, and props to K-State for agreeing to do that, by the way. That was uh, something the conference had to get involved in and the, the other the other school. And so they played a ball game on Easter Sunday yesterday, and the Longhorns won it 8-2. to two. That was a great picture. Uh, I'm friends with uh, Craig on on uh, Facebook, and his grandkids up in the booth, yes. climbing all over him while he's doing the play by play. It was a great picture. Eight to two, the final Longhorns scored seven of the eight runs with two outs, and uh, they win an all important Big Twelve series. And uh, you know the Big Twelve is going to be jumbled all year long in baseball. 
Uh, this will be an interesting stretch for the Longhorns because I actually uh, Ty Harrington's going to come in and join us tomorrow. Ty was on the call of the game yesterday with Craig. And, of course, uh, Ty will be down. I'm, I'm going to go down to the game tonight in San Marcos to see the Longhorns play the Bobcats. And, and then the Bobcats are coming here on Tuesday. And I actually asked Ty over the weekend, was there any chance they'd move that back uh, so the Longhorns get a day off on Monday and just go Tuesday, Wednesday instead? And he said he, he asked the same thing. He said no. Because, remember, Texas State was done as of Saturday. Texas State came back from their trip to South Alabama. They made it come back Friday because they did a thir- it was supposed to be a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series for them, too, at South Alabama. They ended up playing one Thursday and then I think two Friday, and they were done. And so they've been home all weekend. I don't think Texas State's in any any hurry to do Texas any favors here. They're, <laughs> they've had a couple days off, and uh, these are big games for them. I oh, mean, yeah. To play a, a ranked Texas team and uh, for you know rankings and ratings and RPI type of stuff. So the law, they're going to, you know, and I've been told from folks down at San Marcos that there is not a ticket to be had to this ball game tonight. The Bobcat Ballpark, which seats over 3,000, and there'll probably be 3,500 there tonight. It'll be packed. It'll be raucous and fun. And it's cool that these two programs do this, right? Texas State with Coach Steve Trout is a growing program. They were a couple outs from hosting a regional, a super regional last year when they lost to Stanford out there in Palo Alto. Uh, they're a good ball club this year, and, you know, they, they want to be that type of program. And so to play Texas and for David Pierce to to do the home-and-home home thing, it was cool. Last year they did this, and both teams won on the other's field. The Longhorns won a nail-biter down in San Marcos, and then Texas State came back the next night and returned the favorite at Dishfalk Field. That'll be the case tonight and tomorrow night. I had forgotten that they that they were that close to the Super Regional. Yeah, and they, they, they had Stanford back on their heels, if I'm was, remembering. They had the lead in the ninth inning, yeah. and all they needed were three outs. And if you remember that game, they... They had the, the the closer who won the award for the relief man of the year, right? He was the best reliever in all of college baseball. But in that situation, in a, in a regional, he started the game. And they're, they're, they're a great closer. And he ended up pitching like seven innings and was just a horse. Well, then they tried to go back to their starting pitchers, their two great Friday and Saturday starters, to get the final six outs and gave a, or the final three outs. And they end up giving up the home run and they lose that game. Had they won it, they would have come home and hosted – Somebody that's a real low seed in a super regional to try to get to Omaha. They had a real good look at getting to Omaha if they could have gotten those three outs and it didn't happen and it was a you know, rough way to end it out in Palo Alto. But that's the type of program they're trying to, to build there and I think have built at Texas State. Longhorns, of course, are the Longhorns and are sitting at 23-10 and 10 and 6-3 uh, and three in conference play. Uh, if you missed it with us last week, we talked to David Pierce and if you're looking for optimism, David was, uh, was very confident that Tanner Witt uh, we'll pitch for the Longhorns this year and pitch in uh, in high leverage situations. It sounds like from Coach Pierce and I asked him on Thursday when we visited what's the latest on Tanner and he revealed uh, with, without much prodding that he had uh, pitched to live live uh, hitters for the first time the day before, which would have been Wednesday of last week. He said he pitched to three batters. He looked great. Uh, the team was all excited about it. That was the first time since he had his Tommy John surgery that uh, he was pitching to live hitters. And so they're going. He said it's still probably a three-week process before you're going to see Tanner, you know, on the mound. But uh, if all goes well, if the, if the rehab continues, and you know, it's it's all about you know being able to throw live, but then not be sore the next day, and what the recovery feels like. Of course, coming off the Tommy John surgery, and then I doubled back and asked Coach Pierce about uh, the Kate Horton situation. Uh, Kate Horton was a pitcher at Oklahoma last year who uh, was their top pitcher, but he also had Tommy John surgery. And if you remember, Skip Johnson and the Sooners had a very similar trajectory with Cade Horton, and he he didn't start the season pitching. They worked him behind the scenes, and then he started as a reliever, 
and would come in in relief stretches and then kind of worked his way into a Tuesday starter kind of thing. And then, gosh, by May and into their run at Omaha, he became a dominant pitcher for them. Uh, and he ended up helping them get to Omaha, if you remember. And now he's been drafted by the Chicago Cubs and signed about a $4 million bonus, and he's on his way to being a professional baseball pitcher. Uh, Coach Pierce agreed with me that that's kind of the track that they're following. And, uh, you know, he, he, he kind of has talked to Skip Johnson. You can tell about how they brought Kate along. And the other thing with Tanner, people would think since he's got such a live arm and he's a prospect that he doesn't need to pitch, why would you risk it? Well, I, I would think that... You know, he's been told by a lot of folks in and around Major League Baseball, yeah, we'd like to see you before yeah. we're going to invest big dollars. We want to see where you are. The draft is coming up this summer, so I think it's in the best interest of the Longhorns and probably Tanner Witt to to get back on the mound if he can and what a what a shot in the arm that could be for that pitching staff, even if it's in a relief role, Monty. And he said three weeks? About Pierce three weeks. said three weeks? And that's what he said Thursday, so you're looking end of April. End of April, uh, potentially, to get him back into competitive live game situations if the track continues. If he continues on this trajectory, and yeah, when you again, whether it's as a reliever to start with, and he can become somebody that's more like Kate Horton was last year, or he's just a guy that helps out Zane Morehouse and becomes another guy and gets you three or six outs in a in a tight situation, uh, because we know, you know, in, in conference series, those Sunday games really test your 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 pitching depth. Uh, who has any arms left is really what it's about after you go through your Friday Saturday. That's why when Tanner Witt got hurt last year for Texas, it was such a big blow because the Longhorns had three great starting pitchers, right? I mean, they had a uh, great Friday and then Tristan Stevens, and then it was going to be Tanner Witt. On, I mean, it was however they, they were going to line it up. They had three dominant starters, and then, you know, Witt got hurt early, and then Tristan Stevens never really found his form last year. So, you know, you had to kind of cobble things together with the pitching staff. The offense was so great last year. You got to Omaha, but the, uh, the Tanner Witt injury was such a big blow. Uh, to just the overall psyche of the team and just the pitching staff in general, to get him back for a team that feels like it's growing into into something that can be you know competitive and, and a championship type team in the Big Twelve, to get a Tanner Witt back in late April into May could be huge for the yeah. Longhorns. You know, I watched. Uh, I, I didn't see obviously any of the uh, K or listen to the K State stuff. I was in a very remote area, but I did watch Oklahoma State last week and. And I, I liked what I saw with the horns. I mean, they battled. They they really did. They battle. compete. They yep. compete, and they're they're coming together. Six and three now through their first nine. I still think they're kicking themselves about last Sunday's loss to Oak State, oh, yeah. where they lost that game in the ninth inning. But oh, yeah. uh, that one could turn into a swing game in the Big Twelve. Big picture, if you're looking at the standings now. But uh, you know, take care of your business. Longhorns did yesterday. Eight two final here. Craig Way talking about that coming up, and that was a good picture. He and his grandkids and. Uh, the voice of the Longhorns, but uh, uh, somebody texted us and say, "Hey, te- U of H basketball has already replaced two guys through the transfer portal. What are the Longhorns doing?" We'll talk some Longhorn basketball coming up in our coaches' corner. Rodney Terry has made a big addition to his coaching staff. Also, Longhorns are on the on the transfer portal trek. We'll get you details on that. Also, Texas football into its final week of spring football. Uh, we're going to check in on Steve Sarkeesian. Longhorns, I believe, Coach Sark will have an availability tomorrow. They had a scrimmage back on Friday. Um, and, of course, the spring game is coming up on Saturday. We'll have live coverage of that right here on the Horn. Uh, we also have been uh, – it's been revealed that the Longhorns are going to host a potential defensive lineman in the transfer portal. He'll be here for the spring game coming up, which I guess that portal never closes at this point. Uh, so we'll talk Texas basketball and football coming up in our coach's corner. We'll also recap the Masters again. As Monty Williams is in the house, uh, T.Y. is here as well, and we're talking the good, the bad, and the ugly from the busy weekend. Hey, Ty, real quick for the Craig Way Report, what's going on with Austin FC? I know you're a big soccer guy. Obviously, last year's run to the Final Four was uh, set this town on fire. 
safe to say they have not followed it up with a good start to the uh, the 2023 calendar. Yeah, uh, a lot of changes and injuries in the back line uh, with the center backs in particular, and they just have not figured it out defensively. And the pressure that they're getting uh, on that side of the ball hasn't allowed them to play freely on offense. And they just I, hopefully they can get it going soon, but it's not looking good. Yeah, they're off to a rough start. And again, they ran into LAFC on Saturday night, and that's the best team in the league. They won the championship a year ago, beat Austin in that Final Four game out in L.A., and uh, they're just at a different level right now. Um, and yes, they, I think the outshot, shots on goal was like 26-10 to 10 or something along those lines. That's bad, yeah. I mean, they were dominated in that game. 3-0 final, could have been worse. And uh, it's just not been a good start. So uh, we'll take your thoughts on the good, bad, and ugly side from Austin FC. What is uh, what are you seeing as a, as a soccer fan that's uh, uh, just not the same uh, as it was at the end of last year? And that's that's a tough thing to do is bring it back and keep going. But you thought they were building something, and it doesn't mean the season's over. It's a long season, but uh, not off to a great start here into early April now for Austin FC. So we'll talk some soccer. we got football. we got basketball, baseball to get to, uh, and a lot, uh, lot to get to. The golf, of course, with John Rahm winning his first green jacket. Uh, rising back to the number one player in the world status and certainly played like it yesterday. 30 holes of golf at Augusta National. First, though, here's Craig Way. It's Bucky and Aaron. Certainly is, B&E, with you. B&E Facts of the Day time. It is a fact that uh, in our coach's corner next hour, about 7-10, we'll talk Rodney Terry and his big addition to his coaching staff. So he is on the hunt in the... uh, in the transfer portal, get you the latest there. Same on uh, Texas football as well as we're into the final week of their spring practice. So that's coming up. Also, we're 17 days to the NFL draft now. Uh, first round, the Carolina Panthers on the clock two weeks from this Thursday. We're going to talk in the 9 o'clock hour to our friend Mike Renner, who is the lead draft analyst for Pro Football Focus. So we'll get his thoughts three weeks, just over two weeks out to the NFL draft. There was a big signing yesterday. Uh, Odell Beckham Jr. on a one-year, $18 million deal with the Baltimore Ravens. Um, you know, you kind of feel this is a, their push to try to maybe make up with uh, Lamar Jackson Lamar, yeah. and get Lamar Jackson back to the table. Uh, obviously, they put the franchise tag on him, so they control the situation still. They want to make sure he's happy if they can. And uh, Odell Beckham Jr. They also signed Nelson Aguilar earlier in the free agency period, so they're trying to add some weapons. And John Harbaugh has been pretty adamant that if we get healthy with J.K. Dobbins and our Gus uh, Gus Edwards and our run game, plus we add these kind of pieces with Mark Andrews, you know, we, we have plenty of weapons and we can be back to being the dominant team we were. But we need Lamar Jackson obviously back now. Again, does John Harbaugh continue to say the right things about the relationship? But it feels strained in every other capacity. Completely from, broken. From I mean, I, you know, you can you, you you can put lipstick on a pig. He's he, acting as his own agent. I think is a terrible mistake on his part. And yeah, I mean, I you you can say things are all fine, but they're not. <laughs> they're just not, or else he'd be in the fold. Right. When we know his uh, the general manager who handles the roster, John Harbaugh coaches the team uh, that the man general manager puts together. Uh, you know, he had a press conference last week in which he was unwilling to address the Lamar Jackson situation and really not address that Lamar Jackson has requested a trade. Uh, where that stands, it seems completely fractured at this point. But we'll see. Odell Beckham Jr., does that do anything to uh, to to excite Lamar Jackson big picture? Because right now, as far as we know, it doesn't feel like he has many, he doesn't have much leverage here because no one's really come hard at him. Uh, because of the the money he's asking for and the the compensation to give it up, and that's why I keep wondering if somebody will get aggressive after the draft. Because again, if you wait till after 
the three week three day draft in late April, about two, you know seventeen days from now, twenty days, uh, you you start negotiating with next year's draft capital. <clears throat> yeah. Right. You're not giving up if you're Indianapolis and you're interested. You're not giving up the fourth pick. You're you're looking at next year's first round pick, not this year's. You know, there's been some scuttle about New England uh, and and uh, Bill Belichick because he's shopping Mac Jones. Would Lamar Jackson be a part of the uh, plans for? Look, Bill Belichick's under a little bit of heat now. He's an under 500 coach since Tom Brady left with the Patriots, and uh, obviously Lamar Jackson could be a big addition there. Uh, and then uh, a team like Washington, who I look at and say, well, as soon as the ownership thing's done, and Dan Snyder's handed the baton to the next ownership group, you know, Baltimore, not far from Washington, that would be a big, that'd be a nice way for the new ownership team to, you know, start off. Hey, we're bringing in Lamar Jackson to be our quarterback. Uh, I think all those will be in play, but it's not going to be for another three weeks until the draft is in the rear view. Yeah, you talked about Belichick getting a little, you know, I mean, he's getting some criticism now. It's funny, they're they're entirely different individuals, but Popovich is saying, you know, they're saying Popovich isn't the, he's he's now been exposed as a bad coach. They're saying the same thing about Belichick. It's uh, It's really interesting. Obviously, I think Belichick... I think he'd love to have Lamar Jackson. I think he would love to have Lamar Jackson. I do too. And you know, what does it take to get him becomes the question, and then how much do you have to pay him becomes a big question. Uh, there's no doubt that the guy can play quarterback. But the other issue, yeah, Popovich, because for so long, I mean, it really is amazing. That's really the breadth of as long as I've been doing morning radio here in Austin, um, you know, 23 years. But you look at Tom Brady, Bill Belichick in New England. You look at Tim Duncan. The San Antonio Spurs and Greg Popovich. The parallels were were there all, all through it. I mean, the 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 dynasty, the dynastic runs, the selfless leadership of both Brady and Duncan, always willing to take less money to create more, you know, good players on the team. And yes, the the parallels have continued with the retirement of Tim Duncan and the the uh, moving on of Tom Brady from New England. Because yes, the winning has not kept going. And look, I think both of those coaches would tell you players win. No, players yeah. play, coaches coach. Absolutely. You got to have players to win, uh, but you got to have both to win championships, in my opinion. Great players and then great coaching on top of it. But yes, it's it's rough going the NBA when you don't have three Hall of Famers in your starting lineup. Yep, that's a little different. Yep, that's no, a little different. And they're both very you know taciturn individuals. But man, when they open With their militaristic mouths, backgrounds, of course. Yeah, Pop was Air Force, and uh, we know that Belichick uh, was Army. Right. Uh, well, he grew up. At the at the at, no, at, oh, Annapolis. no 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 at Annapolis that's right his father was a football coach at Annapolis when he was growing up so he he kind of grew up on a military base not in the military but you know with that that regimen and that style uh, he understands it so yeah there there are so many parallels to Belichick and Pop and that they're both not winning without their stars until they open their mouths you know and then then well, you suddenly have a different political spectrum <laughs> yes well the different size of it for sure yeah and one likes bon jovi and one doesn't <laughs> that's a fact that is a fact how about this fact going to be any fact of the day monday on good bad and ugly monday roughly 1500 private jets through through flew through augusta regional airport this weekend 1500 normally they'll get maybe 4 or 5 a week <laughs> 1500 private jets in and out of augusta national uh, John Rahm will take home the largest prize ever, $3.24 million. He now exceeded $13 million in career earnings this year. No, he, he, he's now his, his season earnings are thir- now exceed $13 million just 100 days into the year. So John Rahm had a good day and a good weekend. He's off to a good run. He also, John Rahm, earns 600 FedEx Cup points. You know there's big money at the end of that bad boy. Uh, and only 17 golfers have ever won both the U.S. Open and the Masters. 
John Rahm has done both by 28. And as we've said, we'll hear from John Rahm coming up in our headlines. He is the first European golfer ever to win both the Green Jacket and the United States Open. Because, of course, we don't consider South Africa in Europe. It's correct. <laughs> Gary Player did it. Angel Cabrera, the duck. He did it. That's it. That's the list. Wow. Where is yeah. he from? Argentina? Uh, Argentina. That is correct. Nice nice, nice call there, Mr. Mr. T.Y. All right, so there's some facts. We'll come back with some headlines. We'll also dive into our coach's corner, talk some Longhorn basketball and football, and certainly John Rahm's tremendous Sunday performance, three under and 30 holes. While Brooks Kepka was shooting six over in those 30 holes, he is your Masters champion, all part of a busy Monday here on B&E. Monty Williams hanging with us this morning. Ty Henderson is here, as are you. We're coming right back on the show of the people. 